everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? My name is Naomi Schaefer Riley, and I'm a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I am Ian Rowe, also a resident fellow at AEI. And today we have joining us a special guest, Melissa Faye Green. She is the Kirk Distinguished Writer in Residence at Agnes Scott College. And in a recent issue of The Atlantic Magazine, she has a fascinating article about some of the Romanian adoptees who were brought to the United States after some pretty horrific orphanages closed there a few decades ago. And she writes with amazing feeling about kind of what has happened to these kids who were brought here, almost like they landed on another planet in the United States. And what we've learned not only about what was going on in those institutions at the time, but also you know, what we learned from those young people about child development more generally. So Melissa, thanks so much for joining us. And I just wanted to ask first, like, what prompted you to write this piece? Did you know any of these young people? What was it that started it in your mind? Like many people my generation, I remember, as you might also, Ian, no offense, but looks like you're closer to my age than Naomi is. Um, <laughs> I'm, young at, I'm young at heart. Okay, oh, so am I. <laughs> I'm going to rib you about that for a while now. I know, exactly. Like, Maybe four I'm years I'm between us. <laughs> you know, I remember the unbelievably horrific and alarming video footage and photographs emerging from those orphanages after the fall of Ceausescu in 1989. You know, the orphanages didn't close and they, they lingered like that for many, many, many years. And so it was a bombshell story. People felt they hadn't seen footage like this really since the discovery and liberation of the concentration camps after World War II. Starving, naked, neglected children behaving in ways that people hadn't really seen children behave. So it was something that I'd been aware of probably as long as these parents had, you know, from 1990. My husband and I have four children by birth and five by adoption. The first child we adopted in 1999 came from Bulgaria. Bulgaria was not Romania, but it was right next door. And there were similarities. The Bulgarian orphanages were not the Romanian orphanages, but they weren't good. And I researched and studied a lot before and during our son's adoption. We were spared the worst of the attachment stuff, but I was very aware and informed by the cohort of parents adopting from Romania. And they were in the forefront of understanding what happens to children profoundly neglected by being reared institutionally. So there were people I was in touch with in the 90s and reading what they were writing. The experts hadn't, in recent years, had much to say about kids like these. They hadn't really seen them. The adoption agencies were all about, let's get the kids out of these horrific places and get them into families, and that'll be great. And parents came pouring into Romania from all over the world, eager to adopt. A lot of the folks were coming out of situations of infertility. People had struggled to have children, and suddenly here were these unbelievably deprived children in desperate need of parents. And not a lot was said along the lines of, slow down, let's think this through. This is, yes, it would be fabulous for you to adopt one of these children. Let's think what that might look like on the home front. Like there were very few voices like this. Dr. Ron Federici, whom I interviewed in the article, was one of the few at the time saying these kids have been brain damaged by this treatment. Since then, other neurologists have commented. I wrote a much longer article than could possibly appear. I think I turned in 19,000 words. But one of the great quotes that didn't make it 
because if you're going to write an article that's two or three times too long, it's not all going to That's why you have to do podcasts afterwards. Totally. One expert said we, you know, parents understand now that a child who plays football or a teenager who plays football or an adult who plays football, if there are multiple concussions, we know now what a brain can look like following insults like that of repeated concussions. This was a situation which wasn't known at the time, but these are children whose brains had been damaged, but not by concussions. As the Bucharest Early Intervention Project got underway, and I interviewed some of those experts, and they began to be able to look at the brains of some of these children through MRI imaging, they saw there was actual brain damage, and that was not the result of concussions. The children had not, by and large, suffered physical insults, but it was the revelation that simply, 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 but so powerfully and fundamentally, the lack of at least one nurturing adult to be the attachment figure for a child alters the way a brain looks. So this was really powerful research, but was not available to the early parents adopting. And so what was their experience? You've interviewed some of these families. So they brought these kids home. They obviously knew that they needed love and attention and all the things that they were not getting in the orphanages. But what happened when these kids were simply placed in American homes? How did they or how did they not adjust? It's such a poignant story. And it's, I've really been waiting many years to be able to report on this story because I saw what a lot of the families struggled with. So here are families who have been longing to have a child. Here's a child who nearly perished for lack of at least one loving parent. And the children bring them home into bedrooms which are, have been equipped with every fluffy stuffed animal and beautiful paintings on the wall and cute bedspreads and pillows and every possible toy. And the kids were completely overwhelmed by this. Again, Dr. Ron Federici was one of the lone voices telling families it's too much for the kids. They can't process like this. One of the early thoughts Ron Federici had when he stepped into some of these institutions was these children haven't learned the language of love for him to speak, not as a neuroscientist, but to speak in a language most of us speak, that they, they didn't know how to process love and they didn't know how to process attention. Ron said, you know, rather than don't even start with the I love you, I love you. Just start it with by saying you're safe. You're safe here. And he urged people to strip down the bedrooms and keep it very simple and not blow all their gaskets by this unbelievable overflow of attention and gifts. And let's go to Disney World by the second weekend in America. And the children were freaking out. I mean, do you think that had there been more honesty in that conversation that may have actually deterred families from going forward? To some degree, was there naivete a help in the sense of it may have been overload, but it may have been what carried them through to adopt the children in the first place? Or Annette, was it not positive? I think that's a really insightful question. Dr. Dana Johnson, who was one of the early pediatricians working with this population, said, no matter what, it's better for the kids to get out. So even if kids had a tumultuous time in their new families in England or Australia or Canada or United States, wherever, it was still better for them. And it saved the lives Adoption saved the lives of children, so definitely better for the children. I think that you would get mixed answers from parents. I bet most of the parents who really got dragged through the trenches, like the Ruckles did, would say they wish they had known. And I talked to a lot more parents than I had room for in the article, of course. And some 
to whom I offered anonymity if they wanted to say things to me that they then didn't want their child to see someday in print, but they wish they had known. If parents wish they could have had a clue what they might be in for, you know, and I think most parents would say they just wish they had known so they could have made an informed decision. And I think a lot of parents would then have gone forward. Yes, you are going to bring home a five-year-old. He's going to have the cognitive abilities of a one-year-old. But with this and that and this and that therapy, there's some hope that maybe someday he can have independent existence as an adult. But I think people wish they'd known something. Do you think that we are, so today, I mean, as a result of, first of all, all the research that was done, you know, to understand what was going on with these kids, but also just more generally what we've learned about child development, are parents more equipped now? There aren't really exactly the equivalent, thank goodness, of what was going on in Romania, but there are still plenty of very difficult institutional settings that kids are coming out of, particularly in other countries, whether you're, you know, there are people adopting, you know, special needs children from China or Africa or, you know, some of the few places where we still have international adoption, it's typically the kids who are, who have the most difficulties who are being brought here. Do you think that the parents today are more well-equipped as a result of what we've learned? What do you think about, you know, the way we talk about international adoption today and the way we, we do prepare parents if we are? Yeah, thanks. I think there's really a wide spectrum. In my family, we adopted from Bulgaria in 1999 and were pretty stunned by the degree of neglect that our child suffered. I've since learned that maybe 80% of the children in the orphanages in Romania and probably across Eastern Europe, up to 80% of them were Romani, quote unquote gypsy, which is a derogatory term. And the children were treated horribly. Our son was treated horribly. A few years later, I was reporting in Ethiopia for the New York Times Magazine about the HIV AIDS pandemic and got to know so many kids and was visiting orphanages. And we ended up adopting five children out of Ethiopian orphanages. And it was a completely different story. This was a more impoverished country than Romania, but the children were nurtured and loved. These, it was a very different story. These children had not been abandoned, but they'd been orphaned. And so what we went through with the kids we adopted, and they all came as school-age kids, was they had grieved. They knew grief. They grieved with us. They grieved for their parents, but they'd been loved. And it made all the difference in the world. And that's just what the research that I was trying to look at in the article is zooming in on because it wasn't understood very well. Like the stuff that we, the little homely, matter-of-fact, everyday stuff we do with the babies in our families or the, you know, just picking up the baby and tickling the baby and tossing the baby and laughing with the baby and the baby cries and you're there. What does the baby need? And the baby laughs and you're laughing with the baby and the baby rolls over for the first time and everyone's, oh my God, look, the baby rolled over. All of that stuff turns out to be the most fundamentally important stuff on earth. It's not casual. It's not, it's not icing on the cake. It's not like as long as a baby has the basics and has a warm place to sleep and enough milk, that that's it. That's not it. That little tender stuff that we do automatically or that we learn how to do is more fundamental than a warm place to sleep and then milk. It is the most fundamental. It's the way a human baby is wired to be cared for. They're helpless and they are wired for someone to dote on them. And without that, there's just havoc. The baby's brain doesn't develop. The baby's personality doesn't develop. One of the big unknowns before Romania was, is there 
a cutoff point. And the, the metaphor that a lot of doctors used with me, and I used it in the story, is the, the metaphor of does a door close? Like if a baby is neglected for the first six months, does the door close? Can you take a seven-month-old and start offering nurture? What about a year? What about a year and a half? What about a five-year-old? If a five-year-old has been neglected, is it going to be too late? Is it ever too late to learn how to love? I don't think I knew going in how specifically the attachment relationship is defined. It's not, and we use the word attachment, you know, feel attached to one another, you're attached to your friends, you're attached to your dog and your coworkers and so on. But the attachment relationship is a very specific relationship that forms between a baby and the primary caregiver. It's a two-step. It's, there, are, there are two people in that relationship. There can be a second caregiver, there can even be a third, but there can't be 10. And there can't be 15 rotating caregivers. And there needs to be someone special. And the baby needs to be someone special to at least someone. There has to be one adult on earth who thinks that baby is special. And again, it's not the icing on the cake. It's primal. So one of the things the researchers wanted to know is, does the door ever close? And I was lucky enough to find a survivor of one of the worst of the worst orphanages under Ceausescu, one of the hospitals for irrecoverables, as they called them. These were the children who were thrown away because they were so damaged as to be beyond worth ever to anyone. And these, often they were for minor things, someone with a crossed eye or a cleft lip, or in Isidore's case, he'd had polio as a baby and had one of his legs was a bit twisted, just thrown, just thrown away and raised without love almost without clothes, eating gruel. I mean, just, just phenomenally. And then he was adopted by a boisterous, happy, beach-going family in California. And all hell broke loose, you know. And I was lucky in finding Isidore in that he was not so cognitively damaged by his beginnings in life that he couldn't talk about it. On the contrary, he's intelligent. He's very articulate about his experiences. Very, yeah. very. I interviewed other survivors, but they weren't they were so damaged in every way, not just emotionally, but cognitively, that they couldn't, they couldn't express. And so I interviewed more parents of now adult survivors who were still caring for their 32-year-old or 39-year-old or 43-year-old child survivor of Ceausescu's orphanages, and they're going to be the caregiver for life, you know. Melissa, thankfully, we don't have a situation like what transpired in Romania, but Given the criticality of these very early experiences, is there any cautionary tale we in the United States should learn from in terms of what needs to happen in prenatal care or from zero to six months or zero to three years as it relates to our foster care system or our, our systems of care? What would you say is the key lesson we need to take away here in the United States? We do have an urgent situation on the southern border. God knows what's happening inside those shelters. And Isidore is very concerned about what's happening to the, the would-be immigrant children who are being housed in institutions now. He's keenly aware of it and worried about what's happening to those children. And the experts I interviewed who have followed the Romanian cohort, the survivors of Ceausescu's orphanages, have been some of the most outspoken experts in our country denouncing what's happening on the Texas border, that children, they're being housed institutionally. And I suppose the question people will ask going forward is, how long can a young child be without a caregiver? Like, say a child was taken away from his mother or father at age four, and let's say he spent 10 months in institutional housing, is that going to be lifelong damage? You know, so that's, that's a really urgent situation. 
And then the other question is so important also, how to have a solid continuity of care for children. And I mean, I know you, that you all work on this and ponder this also. How do you find a safe, loving placement for a child? It's such a hard question, given the pressure that families are under in this country due to poverty and all kinds of other issues. But obviously, the key has to be for the youngest children, there has to be someone there. They open their eyes in the morning looking for that someone who thinks they're special. And if there's a child for whom that's not happening, they've got to be moved as young as possible. You know, none of the experts would say the door closes because you're not going to talk about children like that. It's not even as they process all this data. They're not ever going to say it's too late. But as you get toward the second birthday, if a child hasn't been cherished by some adult, you're looking at really long-term scary stuff. And it might be even by the first birthday. Getting them on that path to finding secure attachment as soon as we reasonably can should be the priority. All right. Well, that's all we have time for today. So I want to encourage all of you to read Melissa's article, The Romanian Orphans Are Adults Now in the Atlantic. We really thank you so much, for Melissa, for joining us today and talking about this fascinating, important topic. It's such a moving article and has so many lessons for us today. So with that, this has been another episode of Are You Kidding Me? I'm Naomi Schaefer-Riley. And I am Ian Rowe. You can find episodes of Are You Kidding Me? wherever you find your podcasts or on the AEI podcast channel. Thanks again. <laughs>